You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommying While Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma. And this is Zeba. Assalamu alaikum, everybody, and thank you for joining us today on another Live Monday. I love the Live Mondays. Like, I'm wearing a sweatshirt. I'm wearing a sweatshirt. I'm wearing pajama bottoms. That's how us moms roll, right, when we're not quite ready oh, to get perfect. dressed <laughs> in the day, put some lipstick on and pretend like we're actually, um, our, our lives are actually together. You were at a conference this week, this week, Ozma. Like, what, mm -hmm. how, how did that happen? How did that go? And I know you seem to really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. So I went to a conference about a particular disease my daughter had, and I posted a video about it on, um, I think it's on Instagram and Facebook now. Uh, but I think something that really stood out to me was realizing now, four years after my daughter was sick, how um, much processing I still had to do of what our family experienced. Because, you know, my husband and I talk about like the science and the medical stuff, but we haven't talked about um, our emotions and he's not a big talker, surprise. Um, so we haven't really processed it. And something that really stood out to me was what the opening speaker, a pastor said. And he advised that we should care, but not carry. And what that meant, at least to me was, yes, as mothers, we're going to worry and we're going to care for our children. That's our job. But the, the burden of carrying the responsibility of what happens in the future and the prognostic stuff for the future, all of that is in Allah's hands. And obviously he said, God, he didn't say Allah, but as a Muslim, my understanding was very much, this is Allah's job. So my job is to care for my child the best that I know how and to learn how to do it better. And the rest is going to be in Allah's hands. So it was just a really good reminder. You know, we say the words and we feel like, you know, yeah, we're placing our trust in Allah, but in the day to day, it's very easy to forget that because we're so busy doing the, the work of caring and believing that all of it lies on our shoulders when it really doesn't. So that was just a good reminder that I got from a very unexpected place. Um, and the second major takeaway that I, I got from the same pastor was to schedule nothingness, like literally write on your calendar opportunities for and time for just doing nothing. And just being and I'm like that's even um, I, I think you do that really well because you schedule time for meditation right yes. and just nothingness in the mornings yeah so after I pray Fajr I like to to just sit for 10 to 15 minutes and like literally meditate and by meditate it obviously prayer is the physical form of meditation for me to be blunt and honest with you and then I sit and just sit in a quiet space because when you are a mama for like we all are um, that's on this podcast for some reason apparently that's a prerequisite for us <laughs> we you don't have that quiet space that is just for yourselves and it allows me the 10 to 15 minutes of just like literally silence because I do think that that has to be part of my self-care because I agree with you like we over schedule we do all these th all these things and I know like part of what happened to me this week was I was um, officially diagnosed with an ulcer I, I kind of shared that with everybody with dealing with this physical pain for the last six to eight weeks and really um, secretly thinking it was cancer and just being relieved that it was an ulcer and having an endoscopy I'm like that I can handle um, 
Um, and, and I feel like meditation, prayer, and connectivity to my own um, personal spirituality is, is going to be part of my self-care moving forward. So I, too, had kind of the spiritual epiphany like you did. You know, we're all connected somehow, even if it's mentally, emotionally, like I think we're going through the same things, which is why it's awesome that we're here. I totally agree. So, you know, we do our soapbox moment, Ozma. Do you want to tell us what our soapbox moment for this week is? Yes, I'll try to go through it quickly. Um, A right-wing extremist killed 10 people, nine of whom were um, immigrants at a hookah, some people call it a shisha bar, in Hanau, Germany on the 19th of February. You probably have not heard of it because, again, right when wing extremist goes into a public space and kills multiple people, there's not going to be very much news coverage. Chancellor Angela Merkel is calling it an act of terror. Even the PM of France is calling it um Uh, a right-wing xenophobic extremist um, act, and I'm very pleasantly surprised that the French PM is saying the same thing, but the greatest free, in quotes, nation on the planet has said, nada, no surprise, brown guy shoots gay bar, it's ISIS, and so is his wife, white guy shoots brown guy, natural selection or mental illness, and FYI, CNN is already stating he wasn't in his right mind based on a manifesto that he left behind him, because apparently all these right-wing extremists write manifestos um, Mein Kampf would be one of our earliest examples. Um, so the suspected gunman described himself as an incel, I-N-C-E-L. And what that is, is someone who involuntarily abstains from sex, but I think it's mostly because nobody wants to have sex with racist xenophobes <laughs> unless they're Melangia of Slovenian Czech models whom Ivana call out today. Oh my God. Um, so our soapbox <laughs> message basically in a nutshell is celibacy may make you a racist xenophobic terrorist. <laughs> so just be Muslim because celibacy is not part of our tradition. Yay. So on that note, we are going to continue um, our quest to grow up and woman up about our bodies and sexuality. And many Muslim and non-Muslim cultures make this um, a taboo topic. And we we definitely want to dispel that and by bringing on our own wonderful guest today who will teach us how to embrace our sacred sexuality. Angelica Lindsay Ali is a wife, proud mother of four, and I swear we are not finding mothers of four on purpose. Allah sending them to us. Um, she's a native of Detroit and a certified sexual health educator working in public health for the last 15 years, but she's been supporting women for over two decades. Um, She's a sensation on social media who has me learning so much about myself. I'm super excited um, to have her here. Welcome Angelica Lindsay Ali or the Village Auntie. So today's topic is um, sacred sexuality and motherhood, and we kind of wanted to focus on how, you know, our sex as in our gender is sacred um, in Islam, I would argue even outside of Islam and how, you know, we could become better mothers by identifying with our sexuality, not in the negative ways with which we've been raised and how we can do that. And I, I would like Village Auntie to dispel how she's doing that very important work of empowering um, the feminine inside us, uh, our sexuality and, you know, on the motherhood aspect, which I haven't heard um, heard yet on other interviews that you've done. So my work really originates from a place of personal healing. Um, at the age of 23, I was experiencing some challenges with um, reproductive health. I was not 
going to, or, or I thought I would never have children. I did not want to have children, but I was experiencing a lot of cramping and things. And one of my dance teachers, a middle-aged, at that time she was middle-aged, now she's an elder, a middle-aged woman from Senegal um, was able to give me some traditional remedies. And she said something that has stuck with me to this day. She said, when a woman knows herself, she's able to heal other women. And that was impactful to me because mm. that is really the crux of the work and why I do what I do. Because I, she's a dance teacher, no medical tra training, no medical background, but she was able to me with an inverted uterus just by watching how I hobbled across the dance floor. I wanted to know how she knew that. And so I took that and kept it as, as a part of my personal healing journey. And once I began helping other women, it was really important for me to make sure that there were other women who knew that it was possible to be empowered through knowledge and information, but also how important that is to share with other people. Um, I'm the only Muslim in my family. So the concept of motherhood in Islam is very new, but also very old to me. I think that um, the, the, the status that mothers are given um, in our deen is extremely important, but it's not necessarily unique. I think that we have shied away from um, revering mothers in the way and honoring mothers in the way that they should be. And part of that is because we remove the facets of motherhood that make it so unique and powerful. And part of that is sexuality. Um, I've had people tell me to be a mother of four talking about orgasms and, you know, female ejaculation and all of these things. I should be embarrassed for my children. And I said, well, how do you think they got here? They had to, you know, they didn't arrive in a spaceship. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think people pick up on that when they talk about the pregnancy glow. It's not just the glow. It's the actualized sensuality of, of childbirth and childbearing um, that people are responding to. So part of what I like to do in my work is really play up that aspect of the fact that I am a mother. I'm very, very, very private about my marriage. Um, because I don't want my personal relationship out there in the public sphere, but I'm extremely proud of my children. I'm proud of being a mother. I'm proud of other women in my life who may not have physically birthed children, but who are mothers. I agree. Cause I have to tell you this when I became a mom and I'm just going to be honest and frank, I feel like I put the woman part of me on the background. Cause I was like, it, the two of them cannot be mutually inclusive and I know logically that that's wrong but illogically I felt like I can't be a mother and a wife at the same time do you find that you you ex the other people that you've dealt with experience that the same thing or am I just a totally weird person no no <laughs> You're absolutely um, correct. Good. There was a time, that makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> you no, know, it, it's it's true. There was a time around 2014, I had had my third child. I was not planning to have more children. And then I got pregnant again. And I, I, I literally said the words, I don't feel like a person anymore. I just feel like a machine. Because I was, I was um, parenting two elementary-aged um children. I was nursing. I just felt like my life was not my own. And I felt that I was so completely disconnected from who I was as a person, much less a woman. 
And it, it just, I, I had, I, it didn't make sense because here I was, I was in a state of, of being pregnant, which is a very, you know, womanly act. And I was feeling disconnected from my womanhood. So no, you are not alone at all. We've talked in the past this month about our sexuality, addressing our sexuality becomes one more chore on that uh, giant to-do list. But we've also kind of touched on some of the cultural reasons why we don't identify very strongly with that, um, that aspect of our motherhood and womanhood that kind of goes to the wayside while we're, you know, machining our way through having these babies and breastfeeding them and growing them and doing all of that. Can you speak to some of the cultural baggage that is weighing us down and not letting us face um, that inner self better? I think you find it in a variety of cultures where we've actually begun to bastardize tradition. So we have this tradition where mothers can't be sexy, women can't talk about sex, A mother is supposed to be very stoic and nurturing, and she's not at all supposed to be, um, quote unquote, obscene or or lustful in any way. And and it was not always like that. Um, there, There was a space for women to be womanly and sensual in traditional cultures, but what has happened is we've had this global mindset where we compartmentalize motherhood and and by extension we put women in a box as well and it really stems from a lack of understanding and a lack of acceptance um, a lack of understanding for muslims of our religion i think we've become so afraid of at root we're afraid of an empowered woman who can be both prayerful pious and sexy at the same time because in our minds those 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 things cannot occupy the same space at the same time. But sex in Islam is a sacred act and knowing our bodies and the differences in our bodies is an acknowledgement of Allah's creation. So there's no need to mute certain aspects of our feminine selves in order to be seen as more nurturing or more um, religious or more spiritual. In actuality, it, it has the opposite effect. When we, when cultures um, deaden the, the feminine self in all of its facets, we actually move further away from having a wholesome culture. That's actually very, very interesting to hear because I do think um, the culture that I bro- grow, grew up in, for instance, you know, it was one of these things where you cannot be that way, right? You can't be the doting wife and the doting mother and then be like this sexual person in the bedroom. Like, and and I have to be honest with you, 20 plus years marriage and four kids, you know, I am definitely still trying to dispel those, um, that cultural baggage, even within my own um, psyche, despite everything that I've learned um, and understood to be the case within our religion. So having you actually give voice and and speaking on this topic, I feel is very important for my generation and for the generation coming forward, because it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. It, it absolutely doesn't. And it's, it's terrifying. I, you know, I don't want anyone to think that I have it all together. I am acknowledging who I am at my core and, and accepting all of those different parts of myself since I've seen what it's like. And I felt 
that feeling of freedom, it's something that I'll always want to venture back towards. But, you know, we all live in the same world and have the same social pressures. I'm definitely feeling it now as a woman of 44 um, because I'm moving into that space where I'm no longer the young sister at the masjid, but I'm also not an elder. So I'm, I'm in this middle space where I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be setting an example for the younger women, but also not disappointing the older women. And, you know, I'd like to think <laughs> that I'm not a disappointment, but uh, it, it, it's something it, it's something that I have to constantly uh, be mindful of because it's so easy to slip back into that uh, fear and self-loathing. I, I totally hear you on that. Like I didn't like you've said it so beautifully, but it is really funny. Like we're in our four, early 40s as well. I'm 42 and feeling the pressure, as you say. And I thought it was just feeling the pressure of motherhood. Like, how am I going to teach what the elders have taught me to my children? And unfortunately, the elders are not that helpful because I may not necessarily want to take all of those models of sex education and bringing that to my children. I want to do better. Um, so uh, the the reason why we found you so attractive was the whole community model, which you spoke to earlier, that when a woman will be more empowered when she empowers her sisters, and that's very much um, something that Zeba and I believe in well, that if we rise, we lift others with us. So your particular moniker, the village auntie, the importance of community, in the um, in the conversation about motherhood, can you talk about community and motherhood and why that's so integral right now? So the village auntie is is not it's it's a concept um, more so than uh, a name, and people always ask me how I came up with that, and and I think this is true in traditional African society. Your auntie is your second mother. She is the mother sometimes that is connected to you by blood, but oftentimes is not. She's the person who you can have those transparent and authentic conversations with that you may be afraid or hesitant to have with your own biological mother. And I think it's so important to look at aunties as second mothers, because for a lot of us, um, especially those of us who did not come up in Muslim families, sometimes you're, you're unmoored. You're just floating out there alone. And I, I benefit greatly from the motherhood of elders in my community here in Phoenix and Detroit and all different places. And I value intergenerational friendships amongst women. So uh, when I do workshops, I talk to women about the importance of building your tribe. I need to have those who are 25 because I need to have some kind of hope. They keep me hip, they yes. keep me you know, regular. I need to have people uh, who are older than me, who I can go to and turn to for advice. So there, the, the concept of motherhood, I think is so much more expansive than we've allowed it to be. And one thing that I hope I'm doing with this platform and this movement is, is having us reimagine what motherhood looks like and the place that it has in our lives. And I think a lot of the reasons why we see the concept of community, because in most Muslim communities, I think outside of the United States and many non-Muslim traditions as well, the community raises the mother because when the child is born, so is she. And they're kind of lifting her. And I think now that we're here, born and raised in America, you know, you don't have that whole 
the village isn't raising the mother and the child anymore. And I feel like that's why we see such a deterioration in values and such an escalation of problems in mental health for both mother, child, families, all of that. And then, you know, all of that has socioeconomic impacts afterwards. And so that's why we really love your movement. And, you know, coming to your, your book launch, it was like, I could feel it from the outside. It was like this, this wall of energy. And I was, I was allowed to pass through, like you could feel it outside of the space, all of these, and I can't describe it as any other way, but like this womanly motherhood, like I felt like everybody was there to kind of nurture everyone else. Islam is at the core of my experience and the core of my approach. But I knew that like my sisters were coming and my niece, and I have lots and lots of friends who are a part of the village who are not Muslim. And I was worried you know, I have no problem moving in and out of those communities with ease, but I was worried that people who were either had no Muslim friends, like I'm their only Muslim friend, or my Muslim friends who didn't really, you know, they don't really move in non-Muslim circles. I was wondering how those two halves would come together. And I didn't really have to do anything because I, I looked up and, you know, uh, there were a, a woman who's a Christian pastor, she's talking to a, a group of sisters in hijab and they're picking out waist beads together. And my sister is talking to my therapist. It was just, it was a, a, a an exercise in spontaneous community building. And I was worried that it would, you know, it's all lovey-dovey and heart-eyed emojis on, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And I was wondering would that translate into real life? And I'm so glad um, that it did. Osama mentioned that she was there for a book signing. Can you talk to our audience that are not familiar with um, your book, what the book is about and where they can find it? So it's built around self-care, community and spirituality. The book is broken down into four themed weeks, um, each week building upon the next. There um, are focused ayat from the Quran for each week, a weekly affirmation, There's also a food-based portion of the book where uh, we talk about how to remove toxicity from our minds and hearts, but also from our bodies. Mm -hmm. There are journal exercises, some of which I went through at the um, book launch. There's a a playlist. I know some Muslims are not into music, but I listen to music. So there are 31 uplifting songs by female artists of all different genres that I included in there. Um, there are some stories because I am a professional storyteller. So I usually tell stories on the stage, but this time I'm, I actually wrote some down. So it's, it's, it's a great way to have a reset. It, it says a 31 day guided journal, but I've had women say, you know, I've done this. I, I plan to do this for a quarter. So instead of taking a week to focus on a theme, I'll take one month and focus on a theme. And the themes are uh, recognition, reclamation, rebirth, and reformation. And so you could take it and and spread it out over a quarter. You can take it and spread it out over a year. It's really up to the woman how she decides to use it. And another impetus behind the book was that there are so many women globally who will never, well, I shouldn't say never, but who cannot easily make it to a workshop. So I wanted to make it a workshop uh, in a book form so that if a woman doesn't know anything about me, she doesn't know anything about what I do, this can give her an idea of things that we do in workshops. And then there are recipes in the back. I share um, some good vegetarian um, renditions of my favorite meals. There's some aphrodisiac baths included because I had to put something about sex in there. 
So it's 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 something that I, yeah. I something that I hope that that women can find value in. And so far, it, it's it's been quite successful. So where can we find this book? Because I need to put it on my playlist. I have a Shopify shop. The easiest way to find it is to go to my Instagram, and my Instagram is at Village Auntie V I L L A G E A U N T I E. And if you look in the link in my bio, you just press the link, and it takes you directly to the book. So we've we've managed to to do an ebook because we could not. I shipped the books to Shanghai, to Amsterdam, Australia. Um, there were a group of sisters in London who bought a book, but I could not get the book to certain locations. So we actually did an online version of the book. So there's a PDF version of the book available as well. I love that. And I that, literally, when we get off the phone today, that's what I'm going to be doing because I wrote it down right here. Awesome. I'm going to create an Instagram <laughs> account just to go into the village auntie. <laughs> She's going to add it to her 6,000 sticky notes. I know. I love my sticky <laughs> so, notes. So village auntie, Angelica, I have to ask, you mentioned that you didn't get a lot of love from your local community. And in fact, you have a lot of critics. Can you kind of speak to that and explain why? Because as soon as I found out that, you know, where you were, I was like badgering you, pestering you, like paparazziing you as much as I could. So I'd, I'd like you to speak to why um, you, you don't feel the love. I think some of it is fear. Uh, some of it is fear that I may say something. So I get, I get pushback from men which uh, was not surprising. I don't get as much pushback from men though. The majority of my detractors are other women. Uh, men, when they give me pushback, it's generally, I had a brother tell me that I'm telling sisters that they're unhappy and that's causing unhappy marriages. And I said, well, perhaps they were already unhappy and they were looking for ways to make themselves happy. I said, I don't talk about being unhappy. I talk about ways that women can be happy. But I get a lot of women um, who say things like, I shouldn't speak about religion uh, because I'm a woman and I'm a convert. I shouldn't talk about religion and sex in the same space because it's obscene and rude. I should save these for private conversations. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure where that comes from. Part of me thinks it comes from a place of lack or scarcity in their lives because the women who support me wholeheartedly are generally women who are either seeking support and acknowledge that they need support or women who are like, yes, right on, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you. The women who bash me or, or diss the message sort of um, take a, a very, very conservative approach. And they think that I am not a good Muslim or I'm not very traditional in my approach to Islam, which is far from far from the truth. So it it is troubling. Um, I have sisters who are trying to get a fatwa issued against me so that I don't speak about religion as if that would change anything. I think that generally I'm a disruptive, I'm seen as a disruptive force because I ask questions. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that being raised non-Muslim was a protective factor in terms of my ability to speak out. So I was not raised in a household where, you know, I, I 
was indoctrinated with a cultural idea that women shouldn't speak. I come from a black church tradition where the women in church were encouraged to speak. We couldn't preach, right? In my particular denomination, we didn't preach, but women were very active in their churches. And there are some massages here that, you know, veer towards the conservative. So I think that some people like what I do, but don't want to be associated with it because they think that perhaps it's wrong in some way. And it makes, it makes me sad because I can go places like Philadelphia or Atlanta or DC and, you know, say, Oh, Hey, I'm going to be in town in two days. Can we pull something together and 65 women show up? Now I just understand that whoever the message resonates with is, is who's going to be there to accept it. And I can't really control how people receive it. Um, I do wish that there were more people in in my local area who gravitated towards the messaging because I would love to be able to share. But, you know, inshallah, that will come with time. I can assure you there's a whole set of people that are 100% behind you. And, you know, it's those of us who did not have a voice or grew up in a tradition not having a voice. And you are the role model that we see American Muslims being. Um like you are what we want our kids to be able to talk about because the one thing about or a couple of things about your messaging is a it is very traditional islam like what i appreciate about it is that you do stay in your lane like you mentioned like you will go here but you won't speak any further you won't give fatwas and what i love about you as a sex health educator is a you're educating about sexual health which you know adults and children alike need to know about very early on Zeba and I are big proponents of both that, both of those things. And then, um, you know, when it comes to medical issues, like you stay in your lane there as a physician, I really appreciate that where you're like, if it's X, Y, and Z, these are the things that you can do. But if it's, you know, ABC, you're going to go ask your doctor. So it's all very scientific and the theologic stays in the theologic. And, you know, as a conservative Muslim, I appreciate your messaging and i think it's done so tastefully because you're not saying and we're not saying to divulge sexual details of the bedroom which is what a lot of women think that that's that means or a lot of men think that that's what we're doing here but we're just trying to shed light right um zeba and i this month and you like just part of your you know ongoing platform is that we need to have the conversations about the basic you know, acts. We're not asking anybody to talk about specific interactions that you have in the bedroom. We're saying this is how you can make those specific interactions better. I, I agree 100%. And I'm so happy that you said that because I often question myself every day when I go home, I have to do a mental dump of my day, like all the social media, all the tweets and things that are coming at me. I'm like, D- Angelica, did in any way, did you misrepresent yourself? Did you misrepresent Islam? And I, I'm, I'm constantly asking myself that because I do take a very conservative approach when it comes to lots of things about the religion. But because I'm talking about sex, people still cannot in their mind say, well, how can you say you're very conservative, but you're talking right. about orgasms? Because that's perfectly fine. It's within the confines of the religion. So I'm happy to know that I'm not coming off as, as too wayward as some people have called me before. And I actually appreciate it because you mentioned that you do do workshops all over the United States, it sounds like. One, what, where can we find information about your workshops? And when can we have you here in the DMV area and have a, I will set up a workshop for you, lady, because I definitely need one. I will be in D.C. March 28th for Howard University's Hijab Fest. I'll be in Minnesota 
the week after next, and I'm planning workshops there. Lots of women in the Somali community have told me that I need to come to Minneapolis. So I'll be there also. Um, I have a few a few dates lined up. I'll be going to the UK, inshallah, after Ramadan this year. About 40% of my audience is from the UK, and I've never been there. So I definitely have to go. So are your uh, events and your workshops on a website, or can we find them on Instagram, Angelica? You can find it on Instagram. I used to have a link tree um, up on Instagram, and I took it down to update it and forgot to put it back up. But yes, and anytime I'm in a, in a city or have a workshop, I always post it on Instagram. That's the one that gets updated most often. And we should just contact you to set set up local workshops with our kids and our youth groups that need to hear sure, from you, Sure, absolutely. Right? You can always email me, angelica at villageauntie.com. Perfect. And we'll have um, links to your social, and we'll put up, since you're open with your email address, we're going to put that up. And we're even um, putting a link up on the Amalia podcast where you have a regular sex health education um I guess, series. It's called Lights On. And that's how I discovered you because I was like, wait a minute, she sounds American and she's on a British podcast. We're not exporting our treasures. We need to bring them on our show. But it's really great. And it's like great basic sex health education. I love it. Thank you so much for coming today, Angelica. Thank you for having me. Assalamualaikum, everybody. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma and Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.